Hey everyone, welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, this is a podcast exploring the connections between anime and Canadian media. And today on the show, I have a guest I have been hoping to bring on for a very long time now. She's a voice actress. You may recognize her from classic series like Rama One Half and Cyber Six, uh, and also My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And most recently, World Trigger, it is Kathy Wesseluck. Kathy, Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jesse. Thanks for the invitation. So out of everyone I've had on the show, you, you, I think you probably have more anime credits than anyone so far. But even <laughs> then, anime is still just a very small part of your career, in Vancouver specifically, and I think it ex- expands beyond that as well. And I was just yeah. hoping if you could just start by sharing your backstory of how you got into voiceover work. Um, just how it's connected um, to other things that you've done. And just give a sense of what the, just the scope of uh, how you started things or where you are now. Well, um, the thing is, I, I never expected to be a voice actor. It was not anything that I aspired to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and I'm so happy it did. <laughs> so I was working at the time um, uh, at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, um, I, I worked there in Toronto, and then I had a promotion which took me out to Vancouver, B.C., so from the East Coast near New York State, uh, out to the West Coast of Canada. And uh, when I was uh, working there, I was uh, working as an associate producer for radio music, and a lot of people may not know, but I actually do have a Bachelor of Music and a minor in, in sociology. So that's my kind of background, which has nothing to do with voice acting or mm-hmm. acting. <laughs> so you weren't actually on air at CBC Radio? You were just acting more as a producer? I was acting more as a producer, primarily mm-hmm. an associate producer, mm-hmm. but I had uh, I did do stints where I was on air interviewing uh, composers and musicians and things like that. But no, primarily I was an associate producer. Yeah, that's right. And so the host of the show, uh, his name was Jurgen Goth, and he had a show called Disc Drive. And... Uh, I was an associate producer on that show. But um, he said to me one day, you know, you have a really nice voice. Have you ever thought of doing voiceover? And I said, voice what? He said, <laughs> commercials, narration, stuff like that. And I said, no, never thought about it. He said, well, I think you could do it. And uh, I would be happy to uh, help you with a demo and get you going on it. So that's kind of how that started. Um, and, you know, I haven't looked back since. So it was quite, quite out of the blue and quite a gift. And this was around early 90s? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. All right. All right. Never mind. Um, <laughs> it was earlier on. I'm half joking. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was quite some time ago. Yes. Mm. And uh, uh, quite some time ago. And, uh, you know, really, I was a very, very young um, trainee producer at that time. Very, very green. And, uh, you know, really, really wondering about it all, how to do what I was doing. I, I really... The funny story, one funny story about being an associate producer in radio music, I did start in, in Toronto on that program, the co-op program. Um, and I remember being absolutely terrified because I was kind of thrown into quite a, a situation where I was so young and I was working amongst 30-year-olds to 60-year-olds. Mm. And the very first thing they asked me to do was set up uh, an interview with Isaac Asimov. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And so uh, that's a funny story. And Celebrities were working, walking around the studio, so it was quite a quite an interesting time for me. But that was part of the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And when you made the transition into voiceover, uh, advertising was was a big part of that. I understand. 
Um, well, advertising was a part of that in the way of me doing commercials. Mm, all right. So and doing commercials um, before anything. Uh, and so various, there was a, a company back then, and this was a long time ago, that was a, a photocopy company called Bendor Furster. That was one of the first commercials I'd ever done. Um, and um, so I wasn't in the production side of advertising. I was uh, do, doing, doing commercials. Mm-hmm. But I did do some casting very, very early on as well uh, for educational training videos, commercials, and, of course, animation, anime, and prelay. So I had a, quite a busy uh, uh, career when I was beginning. And, yeah. and what uh, – I, I don't know if you could even really pin it down to anything cleanly, but what sort of brought you into animation and anime work from there? Well, it wasn't really uh, a conscious choice, although I was kind of one of those people that walked around CBC being silly and mm. making faces, and <laughs> I was always a little bit of the class clown having some fun. But when you decide – make a decision to actually do this for a living or to, to try your luck at it, whatever you get in the realm of voiceover is what you get. So uh, – Getting an agent, which was what you, I had to do, um, I met somebody, one of the producers at CBC said, I do know a good agent. You should consider, you know, working with him and see what happens. So I uh, created a demo like everybody needs to do when they're starting out. And uh, he sent the demo out to the appropriate places. And I started to get auditions for the gamut. So it wasn't just animation. It was commercials. It was narration. Uh, there were uh, video games at the time. They were... Not, not, uh, they were CD-ROMs and yeah. things like that. So, <laughs> but it's, it's the entire whack. It's, it's anything voiceover. Yeah. And for looking at anime specifically, I know you had uh, a lot of roles in some, some older things like, uh, like the humanoid and dog soldier and project echo. I'm not, I'm not sure if you have, uh, any, any recollections of your really early, uh, stuff or, um, anything to share about those, but I know your, your first big role or one of your your most prolific early roles was shampoo in yes. uh, in Rama one half, and I'm just curious if you have any anything to say about how getting involved in that particular series or your your reflections on that character and or your performances as shampoo. Hi yo Rama, Rama take shampoo to date. I would still love to do. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of recollections of that time frame because it was the first anime that we actually ever did that was of any length, mm. and I think. Did uh, something like 170 episodes or 107? There's a one. Yeah, of it's seven around episodes. that. Yeah. Uh, but it was really quite startling that uh, a series like that that was brand new to us, uh, the the style of production and 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 uh, recording. This was very very new to us. Uh, went so long. Um, and before I get into shampoo, I do recall uh, the humanoid and uh, uh, Project Echo because mm-hmm. I played Seiko, and Seiko uh, was another screaming Mimi that I think followed um, after Ronma one half or during the same time of recording. Um, and it was just a, a challenge uh, to, to keep my voice in that range, although I was much younger then. Um, and so the humanoid was also an interesting uh, project because it was just so her, her performance level was so mute and she was such a, a different kind of character than I had performed before. So I do recall that standing out, you know, in that respect. Doc Soldier, I don't have too much recollection of, to be honest with you. If you told me and I'd look back at my own resume <laughs> to see what characters I did, I would probably, um, it would probably click in a bit. But we did so many back then, Jesse. We did so many mm-hmm. A 
anime projects. And there was one, too, I'll just go as an aside, called Animated uh, Showcase Classics. That was one of my favorite things I'd ever done. And it was a series of um, little animated classics that were uh, Russian origin and hand-drawn. And uh, I, think, I think I've seen some of these, yeah. Yeah. Film Roman was uh, the, the, the company, and uh, Gordon Hunt was our director, and it was one of the, the, the best experiences of my life on many levels. Um, so, so that's uh, something I wanted to add because it was, yeah, it left a, a mark on me. Um, for Shampoo, um, we just had so much fun, and the fun just kept going and going and going. So I had a chance to be a crazy uh, warrior <laughs> and really enjoyed working uh, with all the other actors and Brad Swale and uh, it was it was a lot of fun and it, it lasted and lasted and lasted. And that that for me as a performer was the very, very first anime we had ever done. That was a series and really took off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to ask if you would uh, if you would reprise the role of shampoo again, if given the chance. I, I don't think there's any yeah. question uh, <laughs> about, uh, about whether or not you would. Of course. And I would reprise absolutely any role. Um mm-hmm. But shampoo and, uh, you know, there's a few of them that are dear to my heart and shampoo is one of them as well as cyber six. So yeah, I would, of course. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess let's, uh, let's jump into cyber six. That's definitely one of your most iconic roles, both cyber six and yep. Adrian kind, kind of one role, kind of two roles, a lot of <laughs> nuance, uh, in that, uh, in that character and what you bring to that character. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's again, a lot of, lot of subtleties to it, and it involves hitting this very narrow and androgynous kind of range. And yes. I'm just curious to know how you found yourself in that role and what kind of challenges you found doing that character. Well, that was uh, early, early on. So in a way, it was a challenge to, I think, primarily hit the mark of what the client wants. And I think that's always our challenge, to be honest with you. Yes. Um, I had done boy voices even back then. Some of them were more charactery than real, um, different levels, little chubby boys. I played um, male inanimate objects. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a whole story. Um, but, yeah, it's um, to do Adrian Seidelman, they were wanting a very specific range. And so we were trying to determine whether we would have another actor do a completely different voice mm-hmm. or whether they wanted me to, to morph and do uh, Adrian. And they wanted to, you know, hopefully keep me since it was indeed Cyber Six doing that. And so it was just a matter of, again, uh, uh, getting into the acting of it and what would, you know, a teacher, a male teacher sound like, uh, and not to go too far out of the, character of uh, cyber six because she of course is pretending to be him so those were the challenges but i think we did hit it and i think it was close enough to fooling people that it would be a male even though you know it's not so there's a dance that we do but the client always has the final say yeah yeah and i know obviously cyber six was only 13 episodes and Canada is really the only country where it aired prominently. It was canceled mm. pretty quickly in, in the States, and I don't think it, it got as much airtime in other countries. Yet, at That's conventions, it's I know that you you know appeared a lot of conventions, especially in the early 2000s. Well, actually, right up until um, they stopped doing conventions due to something that stopped conventions a couple of years ago. I, I don't know what. Um, but uh, Cyber Six was something that came up and something that fan fans responded to I, I, I was going to ask if you had any, if you expected that role to have as much of an impact as it did i'm i'm going to assume no um <laughs> considering that 
you know, you, you never really know what's going to have an impact. But I'm I'm curious to know kind of about the aftermath of that and um, just what you've found about the character to resonate with people as you uh, as you heard a response from from viewers. Well, you know, this is where it becomes obscure for me, because after uh, Cyber Six ended, which we were quite surprised it did, actually, because mm-hmm. uh, even we don't know quite what happened. And unfortunately, it was left as a, uh, a hanger there um, for a possible 13, maybe, maybe not. And I, I personally hope that that continues. I can still do that range. And uh, I know Mike, uh, Mike Dobson would be right on the money for that. So, um, yeah, no, it's hard for me. to. It was hard for me to know what kind of effect or impact it had after that point, like it is really with any show, uh, unless I'm, you know, online checking everything out or seeing, you know, really getting into finding that out. But I didn't expect it to have um, uh, quite a following after the fact years later. And to be quite honest with you, Jesse, I really don't know how big that following is <laughs> to this day. Yeah. But I do know that there are a lot more people that are really uh, excited about the show now. Mm-hmm. And with good reason. I think it's a terrific show. I think it was, there was so many things about it, even back in the nineties when we did it, um, that was a cutting, a cutting edge thing for the time. The coloration, for example, the oranges, the blues, the blacks, um, the, the camera angles, uh, you know, the fact that it was kind of set in a, a European kind of setting. Uh, you know, there was a lot of cutting edge stuff that was going on within the storyline as well as within the production. So, I personally think it was a very high quality show. We did win a, a Leo award for that, I think. I'm trying to remember, um, for animation. Um, but anyway, um, I don't really have a sense of the impact of it with respect to fans as far as numbers or whatever. It is, it is showing up on streaming services now. So I think a lot of people, even outside of Canada who didn't discover it before are, uh, are probably finding it now. And right. I think even to this day, people are, it's a kind of work that people are f- discovering a lot of, uh, a lot of nuance and, and subtler yeah. themes in. So that's, uh, that's great. And I, you know, I don't know if we're going to see more Cyber Six ever, but I hope that, uh, I hope that keeps happening. I, I do too. I would absolutely love to do it again. It was, I just thought it was a great quality show all around and, uh, uh, quite interesting. And, uh, also it was a female lead, which is really mm-hmm. unusual still to this day, which is a sad thing. But, um, yeah, no, I, I would be right there ready to go. Uh, go, going back to your uh, your knack for voicing young boys, that's um, so it's a that's a very difficult range to master, and it sometimes it seems that a lot of people can't do it, especially in anime. It seems that you know they often can can find it, it, there's a really specific kind of range with the with with anime boys specifically that um, they always have a hard time kind of adapting in English, but. Uh, you you do this very well, and your recent big anime role is Yuma in World Trigger, um, yes. and which you I mean you totally nail that 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 character and and the type of tone he has to hit, um, and it, and it really highlights this talent of yours. Uh, and I just uh, was curious to know. And we again we've heard it before in like Chaosu in Dragon Ball, Near in Death Note, and countless others inanimate objects as as you mentioned before uh which is a, a that's a very interesting direction yeah. <laughs> to have to, to have to try and capture um one of those uh, one of those was a vegetable and it was a yam so i just thought i'd throw that in there i mean <laughs> you, you, you got to ruminate over that about like a, a young boy yam what what makes him a yam uh, um so i'm just I, i'm curious to know was there anything in particular that helped you pin down this skill or or what challenges have you faced with it or was it just something you were kind of uh, a fit for and 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 fell into with a lot of casting well i 
a combination of all of it. It wasn't something predetermined, like I'm going to be the voice, the boy voice uh, person now. Although, to be quite honest with you, back in our early days when animation really started to cook uh, in Vancouver and Canada, for that matter, um, boy voices were it was difficult to find young actors that were young enough that were good actors. Now we have many, many, many because there's a lot of training out there. And so in some ways, the women were kind of needed to do that in order to cover that category. But then I realized also that it was a category that was quite in demand and that I had the range for it and I enjoyed doing it. So um, it was a combination of making that realization, but also just that I had done well as I went along and I just kept getting cast for it. So um the other thing, too, I want to say is that there are so many different ranges of boy voices and so many styles of boy voice performance um, that uh, a good part of it is your biology. So, you know, I'm in a kind of I'm an alto as far as a, in, a, in you know, when it comes to singing measurements, I'm an alto. And so I can get that mid range relatively easily. But um, the question is, do you want an authentic boy uh, or do you want a, a character boy? For example, I mean, Chao Tzu was a bubble voice. It wasn't anywhere near a spike or others. Like, yeah. So Chao Tzu was more like this. And so he had a bubble voice and it was kind of like this, you know, and, and uh, um, whereas, you know, Spike is just like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, I'm still I'm still here, everybody. I'm not going anywhere. Um, you know, and so they're different placements. And then, uh, but what I do when I get into a role, uh, whether it's a cartoony or character or, or real for boy, is I really, really, and I, and I, all the young actors out there or otherwise actors, any age actors, I really, really encourage you to get a sense of the setting that you're in in the scene so that you can be physical in your performance. But also the description of whatever boy you're doing is extremely important. So one area I would like to do a little bit more of are some of the lazy boys or the chubbier boys or the ones in the background. And so if I were to do a, a, a little boy who's a little bit chubbier, mm-hmm. then uh, I would embody that. And that would sound like this. Um, I was I was wondering if you guys are like after recess, uh, maybe we could go like to the store. Because um, I don't like this cafeteria. It doesn't have any French fries. Um, are you going to eat that? You know, like, and so you can put weight on to the character, right, by embodying that. So... There's all kinds of ways to go with it, but you do need to have that basic placement first. Like, I mean, as far as biology is concerned, right? Because if I was a high-pitched character, like um, uh, if I picked a, uh, like, a, uh, for example, Andrea Lidman or even even um, any and any actor that has a higher range, um, Sunny Westbrook, for example, you you might. They, they they have a they have a voice where they talk like this normally, so they're kind of up there here, the top, <laughs> right? So that's where they are. That's just their normal voice. And so if they were to do a, vo- a boy, then they were going to have to make it. They're going to put something on it like that, so it's a little bit like that, and that's their boy voice because they have no other biology. You see, but if I'm in a mid range like I am, then I can play around with all kinds of ranges, you know, and and that's why I could get down to Adrian's as well. Which was more down here, like Adrian Seidelman, right? He's, <clears throat> he's kind of here. Lori, Lori, stop that. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, there's a, there's a combination of biology, manipulation, a sense of setting, and really, really getting the physicality embodying the character. And that goes for really any preparation, I think, for any character. Uh, amazing how you can just jump into <laughs> those voices <laughs> on demand like that. Um, chip, computer chip. No. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, also since since World Trigger was probably one of your biggest recent roles, do you have anything else to say about Yuma the character or your your performance as him or about that show in general? I love that show. I love that show. That's one of the ones that just uh, really wore on me in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think again because it's really cleverly written. It's got a very dry little bit of sense of humor between uh, myself and Brian Doe. Uh, there's that sort of a kickback, you know, Yuma's kind of this alien kind of boy, and they never know what's going to come out of the guy's mouth. They never, they, he's so unpredictable. At this half, they don't know whether he's joking, they don't know whether he's serious. Um, I think there's comedy in there when he's, uh, you know, when, when, when they always talk about food and eating, you know, it's, it's, it's really, um, but it's also very, very interesting. And so, so it had, it had the gamut, right? The, the sort of the, um, the dimensions and the depth of the storyline, right, with the Secret Service and uh, and then really just humanizing uh, him and his friends. You know, so you have the their role as what they need to do to solve all the problems of the world. And then you just have the, the, com- the comedy between friends. And I I just love that they they made him a little bit complex. Yeah, yeah so. I've spoke, spoken to a few members of the cast and I, I love how you guys you all love that show so much, and yes. uh, I, and that, that, that's so. I love that that, that it drives you uh, like that. Yeah. It's it's really great to hear. Um, going back to a, just a couple of older roles um, back, you know, early two thousands, late nineties. Uh, you had two major roles during kind of the peak of Gundam dubbing in Vancouver. You were Dorothy Catalonia in Gundam Wing and Mirai Yashima in Mobile Suit Gundam. There were and I, actually, I think you did a few more as well. But those those are the two I think most would recognize most readily. Yeah. Um, they're two very different characters. Um, and I was just wondering if there was anything that stood out to you about these roles or how you approached them. For sure. Um, by the way, I also played Kika, Cats, and Let's, um, which I think was part of the same show with Mirai. Yeah, yeah, with, yes, in um in the original Mobile Suit, yeah. 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 So I had to do all those little guys too. Uh, that's, oh yeah, actually I, I missed that. I didn't realize you were, <laughs> you were all the kids. Captain Letts, yes I was. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, very, very different characters. Uh, Mirai was very, um, I'm not gonna say standard in, 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 in sort of just, uh, taking away from it at all, but it was a, a character that was a range I'd played before, um, was, uh, you know, had compassion but was still a smart woman, a captain in her, in quotes, in her own rank and, you know, it was it was enjoyable to play, and I think again that show had interesting uh, storylines and 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 sidelines. The um, uh, Dorothy Catalonia was a very very interesting character to me. So, uh, you know, Gundam was another big one that just took off, and and you know a lot of people just loved it. And I really enjoyed playing this character that was uh, pretty atypical. I mean, you, again, you did not know what she was thinking. You did not know how dangerous she was. And I had to really play a very, very reserved performance there, which was fun for me to do because I was quite in my earlier days, I was a real character actor. And for some reason, I, you know, this happens to actors all the time where you tend to get a little slotted um, when you can do so much more. And sometimes that's just a matter of time. And there's just so many more actors out there. But um, I was doing a lot more character stuff at the time. So it was kind of a treat to uh, play somebody kind of so contemplative and in some ways evil, you know, you were a bit, you were a little against type 
um, with yes. those roles. So yes. it, it was a interesting opportunity for sure. Yes. And and yeah, actually, I can't believe I missed that. I didn't I didn't realize you were the kids in, in Mobile Suit Gundam. Did they did they originally want one person to do all three of those voices? Uh, I cannot recall, yeah. but I, what I always know is a standard thing, and uh, it's you know it depends on the client really and what they want and the budget. Mm-hmm. But there's always the budget where they would like to save money, and of course I was a real character actor and I had multiple roles that I knew how to do, and so they would assign it to you if their budget was a certain budget. Um, but then there's storyline and and um, you know quality of performance, other other. I mean, I know for sure Pony, uh, for example, really, really wanted to make sure that they had the right fit for the characters, although we all did multiple voicing as well. But, I mean, I've never seen a, a cast that size in my entire life. That was <laughs> – it was a universe. For, for My Little Pony? Yes. Yeah, and it, I mean, it spans beyond Vancouver as well. It goes uh, – yeah. it's a Vancouver, L.A. production, which there, there's a lot more of those, that that kind of thing now, especially in the, over the last 15 years or so from uh, – well, uh, and Jesse, I mean, uh, less so just actors doing doing multiple voices. I'm talking about the number of characters oh, that right. the show had in it. Like that was uh, unprecedented. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, but no, back to uh, Dorothy, etc. Mm-hmm. It was also, uh, I think, one of the first shows back in the day that was performed so, in quotes, real. It was very movie-like. And for animation, new actors come into animation. They always want to scream and yell and have too much energy. But this was um, a good example of a show where it can be animated, but the performance can be very movie-like. And so that's a client choice and a style. In terms of, of your voiceover work, uh, you've done like lots of ADR and, and prelay. Um, what do you have a preference? Well, well, uh, yes, obviously, uh, prelay does pay way more than. <laughs> anime does although if you have a regular role in anime of course that can add up certainly um but it's just a lot more laborious and you are not working with other actors when you're doing anime so i don't dislike it whatsoever i love all the mediums i love you know video games and uh you know live action all kinds of things so i will never say no to work um because i enjoy it all um it's very creative for me and um always a challenge and so i'll never never say no to it but yeah the prelay is a uh, at least in the day when we could get into the studio together. Um, it was uh, wonderful to work with everyone. Um, and that's not even necessarily a standard way of, of recording. You know, I think in L.A., uh, a lot of the actors do record independently. So it's quite unique, I think, in Canada that we uh, we have usually worked together in a group. Um, so, yeah, everybody wants to work prelay because it pays more. But uh, <laughs> but there's uh, but yeah, I love ADR just as much. It's just a. A lot more time, it's a bit more tedious, and you're working uh, solo with the director. Yeah, and, you know, co- collaboration winds up being a big thing in the way, well, at least the way Prelay is done um, around here. Uh, and obviously for the last year we've been living and working in, in a pandemic. Um, I'm just curious to know, how have you been able to adjust to this? Because uh, I, I know that, you know, you, technically you can still do voiceover work, but that kind of element of, of collaboration and camaraderie is, is going to be missing a lot uh, for a lot of things because you can't do everything in person. And I'm just wondering, how, how does that change the work and your kind of engagement with it? Well, I mean, certainly the engagement with it is, is obvious. And and we, we, we really do miss working with each other. There's no question. We are an extended family, all the actors, and we just don't have that opportunity. But we do, when we 
are working in groups and there are occasions where there have been studios where they have locked off a very, very big room into four literally airtight um, cells where you can see each other, but you're, you're, you're siphoned off from each other. Um, that occurs, but it's, um, it's also just a matter of coming in independently, individually and recording your lines because obviously they just don't want, uh, you know, you to be exposed or, or you to expose anything to the engineers or the studio. So, um, it's a sad time on that respect. And, and certainly, I mean, luckily I have continued to work during this time. Um, I would say probably overall for all of us, there's been a, a lesser amount, but it depends what series you get. It's very random. Um, so I am still working and I'm still working enough that I'm content with that. But um, I just know that it's really taken a toll on a lot of people. It's taken a toll on studios, on directors um, who are having to work from home. Uh, and also just the, you know, the studios are having a lot more trouble, I would say, because they're limited simply because of um, square footage. <laughs> so there are a lot of places that, that, that record music or record bands um, have more challenges. So it's, it's a, it's been a rough time for a lot of people, but, uh, I just, as always, you'll see me saying this all over Twitter and, and, uh, Instagram that I'm just grateful, you mm -hmm. know, hey, for what we have. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, also Kathy, you're a fairly seasoned guest, uh, as I've alluded to before, uh, a fairly seasoned mm -hmm. guest at various anime and, and my little pony conventions over the last, uh, many years. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'm just curious to know, how has this influenced your work and career? Uh, the conventions, the fan? Uh, yeah, engage, like fan engagement. Well, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's the most, for me, it's the, one of the most wonderful things because I'm a very, as you know, personal person. And so to me, when I have an engagement with a fan at a convention, I will give them my full attention and time. And I remember the very last BronyCon we did, um, I waited three hours until the last person was done. Uh, I will go over my time because I respect the kind of time that takes for fans to want to see us be there, etc. And My Little Pony was such a legend. It, it, it's a legend, a legendary show. And um, it healed so many people on so many levels that uh, that will never be forgotten. And so the least I can do from my end of it is um, be there uh, present when I'm with a fan. And I appreciate, and I just want to say to everybody, thank you so much for all of your support, for all of us actors, for the shows. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. And I'm also um, very, very happy to pass on uh, in, in, the, in the, the talks I do, et cetera, you know, tips about voice acting, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of people out there that I know have major talent, and I highly encourage uh, people to keep pursuing it. But I just want to thank all the fans because without you, there would be, it would, it would be empty. Mm -hmm. It would be empty. Yeah. And uh, I get to, I guess to finish off, do you have anything else you'd like to just share about working on My Little Pony Friendship is Magic? Cause that's, that's been such a major part of your career for the last decade, of course. Well, as I said, it was, um, it is an experience I will, I will never forget and one that, uh, definitely impacted me. Everybody knows that. Um, because uh, I see it from uh, a much bigger perspective, perspective an actor just doing the show. Um, and because we had so much interaction with the fans, we saw um, the Brony community come together. We saw uh, grandparents and um, families come together and interact with the Bronies. We saw talent explode 
uh, because of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And so many people heal on so many levels that this this show was more than a show to me, and it will remain so. And so I take that with me, and it's it's very special. And I think it needs to be, um, what's the word, bronzed forever. Memories. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, and yeah, and I, and again, I just encourage people to, who are interested in voice acting to continue pursuing it because we're not going anywhere. The industry is not going anywhere. This is a good time with COVID-19 to, to practice your wares. I do do, I've continued to do uh, workshops and, uh, voice coaching. I do it online now, but, um, mm-hmm. I do it sporadically when I can, but, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to say I'm, I'm opening the floodgates just yet, but yeah. I am doing private coaching for people. Um, so Kathy was voice productions. Um, but continue all of you out there with all your talents, um, to stay safe, stay positive. Um, as I say, we've got this and, uh, Spike says we've got this and shampoo says, Hi-ya, Rama! she still wants, she still wants Rama. She still wants Rama. <laughs> it'll Rama one half. It'll never end. Even it, it ends, but it never really ends. And that's, uh, that's part yeah. of what makes it great. <laughs> All right, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can folks find you online or find more information about um, uh, about you or your 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 courses and, and instruction? Uh, right now, uh, uh, so Kathy Wesson Voice Productions is a makeshift website. It's I'm going to eventually have one that's a proper website, but that's just for some of my training. So um, you can go there and have a peek. Um, I pretty much do them by the hour or two. Um, as far as where I'm on, as far as platforms are concerned, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. And where, uh, I'll, I'll include your, uh, your addresses in the, the yeah. notes. Do you, can you share where, what are your, what's your Twitter and, and Instagram? Uh, Kathy underscore, Kathy underscore Westluck is Instagram and Twitter is, uh, uh, at Kathy Westluck, I think. Isn't that funny how we just don't recall? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is at Kathy Westluck. about actually, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much uh, for doing this. And thank you again to the fans for everything. We are still here. We're going strong and uh, we're, we're not going to stop. Going to keep the positive. Kathy, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and thank you to you for tuning into Zon in Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood. And you can find that at ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. See you again.